I'm recording a podcast, Mother, and making violent love to it. That's right. It's Anime Was Not a Mistakes. It's a Wonderful Life Holiday Hee Haw Spectacular. I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski, and I wish I had a million dollars. Hot dog! Who's here? Oh, of course, the Zuzu to my Zuzu petals. It's none other than It's a Wonderful Life Virgin. Dan Ryan. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't have any quotes, uh, but maybe that'll change. Well, I think this movie's going to hit closer to home. <laughs> you most of <laughs> yes. all, I think. You're going to find a lot of connections here. And uh, if you haven't tuned into our previous episode, to my left, who do I have? My mouth's bleeding, Bert. It's me, Grant Farouk. <laughs> oh my gosh. Frequent guest on Anime Was Not a Mistake. Did that cop get a little violent? <laughs> <laughs> and to my right... I got in on the ground floor. Plastics. <laughs> it's Hurricane Cuba. <laughs> Bomb Cyclone Cuba, because it's a winter edition. <laughs> oh, my God. And here we are. It's a Wonderful Life. The moment we've been waiting for all year. I've been waiting for this my entire life. <sighs> we've been training for this. This is our Olympics. I'm ready for the riotous good time that we're going to have tonight. Before we go in, like, thank you for being here, of course. As always, happy holidays to one and all. But I expect to get really raucous and have one of the best episodes we've had. I want us all shit-faced <laughs> i want us all doing the charleston on the, the basketball floor and the pool's Fall gonna open up pool, yeah. <laughs> we drink hard liquor <laughs> you're not bringing those plates to those dance <laughs> but here we are and um i mean to cut things short we do see i wrote a little tome for this should i dive into my magna carta let's dive well, in have the, the questions have the, at the end questions are at the end yeah all you right. gotta stay up for that all right all right all right <laughs> All right, so we're going to get into the drawing board, which is renamed the Bedford Falls Sentinel Dan. Oh, well, good for him. Yeah. He's, yeah, he gets reskinned a lot. He's a so. newspaper man right yeah. across the street from Mr. Potter. <laughs> jail. Group A. Well, Happy New Year to you in jail. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is a 1946 American Christmas, not holiday family fantasy drama film, produced and directed by Frank Capra, Italian-born American film director known for his earlier directing stints in classics such as It Happened One Night, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, You Can't Take It With You, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Plus, today... It's not only Gabe's 75th anniversary, but it is It's a Wonderful oh. Life's 75th anniversary as of last Wednesday, Thursday. I think it was one of those days, but it's a momentous occasion. It's wow. true. And yeah. it's Jimmy Stewart coming back after the war, so he's tired. <laughs> he's looking rough. Well, to be honest, he's looking rough as a fucking 20-year-old in this movie. An 18-year-old. 45. <laughs> The film stars James Stewart as George Bailey, a man who has given up on his personal dreams <laughs> close to home, in order to help others in his community, and whose suicide attempt on Christmas Eve brings about the intervention of his guardian angel, Clarence Oddbody. Clarence shows George how he has touched the lives of others and how different life would be for his wife Mary and his community of Bedford Falls if he had not been born. <laughs> the fate worse than death is in store for Mary, but we'll get there. And show him how he truly lived a wonderful life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Wonderful Life is based on the short story and booklet The Greatest Gift, penned by Philip Van Doren Stern, 1943, based loosely on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. The original story was passed around in Hollywood for years in April 1944. RKO Pictures bought the rights to the story for $10,000, hoping to turn it into a vehicle for Cary Grant, who also shared interest in the piece. Now, if we're going by Uncle Billy conversion rates, that was a fucking lot of money back then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cary Grant, however, decided to star in another Christmas movie that is also a classic, The Bishop's Wife, leaving the role of George Bailey up for grabs. Novelist, stage, and screenwriters Dalton Trumbo, Clifford Odets, and Mark Connolly each worked on versions of the screenplay before RKO shelved the project, putting it on 
ice for a time, get it? Because the last 30 minutes of this, uh, and also the ice, you fell through the ice! You fell through the ice. <laughs> uh, RKO Studio Chief Charles Corner urged Frank Capra to read The Greatest Gift. Capra saw potential and purchased the rights for the story and previous scripts for an alleged $10,000. Capra later said it was in the ballpark of $50,000. So that's a good chunk of change right there. Uh, Capra salvaged a few scenes from Odette's earlier screenplay and worked with writers Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett. Joe Swirling, uh, Michael Wilson, and Dorothy Parker brought in to polish the script on many drafts of the screenplay. It was not a good experience. <laughs> uh, Goodrich called Capra that horrid man and recalled he wouldn't wait to get writing it himself. Her husband, Albert Hackett, said, We told him what we were going to do and he said, That sounds fine. We were trying to move the story along and work it out and then somebody told us that Capra and Joe Swirling were working on it together. And that sort of took the guts out of it. Joe Swirling was a very close friend of ours, and when we heard he was doing this, we felt rather bad about it. We were getting near the end, and word came that Capra wanted to know how soon we'd be finished. So my wife said, we're finishing right now. (laughs) We quickly wrote out the last scene, and we never saw him again after that. He's a very arrogant son of a bitch. Strong words back then. I I wish someone would leave a glowing review like that for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just you wait. (laughs) At least the movie was a... Big success, right? (laughs) (laughs) Aw, fooey. Later, a dispute ensued over the writing credits. Capra said, The Screenwriters Arbitration Committee decided that Hackett and Goodrich and I should get the credit for the writing. Joe Swirling hasn't talked to me since. That was five years ago. The final screenplay, renamed by Capra, It's a Wonderful Life, was credited to Goodrich, Hackett, and Capra, with additional scenes by Joe Swirling. Uh, Seneca Falls, New York, claims that Capra was inspired to model Bedford Falls after the town after a visit in 1945. The town has an annual... It's a Wonderful Life Festival. Well, we're having one of those right now in December. However, film historian Jeannie Basinger, or Basinger, uh, curator of the Fank Capra archives at Wesleyan. Wesleyan. Sure. University and author of It's a Wonderful Life, the It's a Wonderful Life book, has said no evidence exists for Seneca's Falls claim. I have been through every piece of paper in Frank Capra's diaries, his archives, everything. There's no evidence of any sort whatsoever to support this. That doesn't mean it isn't true, but no one is ever going to go prove it. Uh, Basinger said that Capra always described Bedford Falls as an every town. Think Thornton Wilder's Our Town. The be, Bedford Falls is definitely in upstate New York. Yes, though, well, that's because, 100% certain. Yeah, yeah, because they reference, like, Rochester yeah, and stuff. Yeah. yeah, also, the only thing they show is, like, a main street. <laughs> with, like, a big well, Nickelodeon. Well, we're gonna and, get like, to that main you know street. I mean? like, yeah. <laughs> it could literally be anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Philip Van Doren Stern, the source's material author, said in a 1946 interview, incidentally, the movie takes place in Westchester County. Actually, the town I had in mind was Califon, New Jersey. Uh-huh. The historic Iron Bridge in Califon is similar to the bridge that George Bailey considered jumping off of in the movie. So, New Jersey, we get to steal that credit again. Best state. Doesn't matter where you start, end it here. <laughs> well, that is a good tagline. I don't know. If I can say that's, no, that's good. I think we're one of the best. Where can we get a piece of Taylor Ham? Am I right? Hey, <laughs> I'm casting. <just> pretty good. <laughs> I'm casting. Capper recalled of all actresses' roles, I believe the most difficult is the role of a good Sam who doesn't know that he is a good Sam. I knew one man who could play it, James Stewart. I spoke to Lou Wasserman, the MCA agent who handled Jimmy, told him I wanted to tell Jimmy the story. Wasserman and Stewart would gla- said Stewart would gladly play the part without hearing the story. Stewart and Capra had previously collaborated on You Can't Take It With You and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, both classiques. 
Gene Arthur, Stewart's co-star in You Can't Take It With You and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, was offered the role of Mary, but had recently dropped out uh, of the Broadway show Born Yesterday from Exhaustion. <laughs> uh, Capra never considered Olivia de... Also, or next considered Olivia de Havilland, who is still with us. I think she's 103. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, she's, no, I she, she died. No, she's alive. She's gone with the wind. <laughs> Olivia de Havilland. <laughs> She might have recently I think died, she recently like died. two weeks ago, but she was kicking for a long time. Martha Scott and Droverick and Ginger Rogers before ba- borrowing Donna Reed from MGM. Rogers turned it down because she considered it too bland. She's not lying. The There's no there. dancing number. They would have fallen through. Oh, there is a dancing number. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a long list of actors was considered for the role of Potter, originally named Herbert Potter. Edward Arnold, Charles Bickford, Edgar Buchanan, Louis Callern. Uh, Victor Jory, Raymond Massey, Thomas Mitchell, and Vincent Price. Lionel Barrymore, who eventually won the role, was a famous Ebenezer Scrooge in radio dramatizations of A Christmas Carol at the time, and was a natural choice for the role. Barrymore had also worked with Capra and Stewart on Capra's 1938 Best Picture Oscar winner, You Can't Take It With You. So Capra was an OG Ryan Murphy type with a corral of actors on call to show up at his work. He must have had blackmail material for all of them. Vincent Price would have been a fun part. Oh my gosh, he would have. (laughs) Group A. (laughs) And a happy new year to you in jail. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life was shot at RKO Radio Picture Studios in Culver City, California for exactly 90 days on an 89-acre RKO movie ranch in Encino, where Bedford Falls was adapted from Oscar-winning sets originally designed by art director Max Reeve for the 1931 epic film Cimarron. Covering four acres, the town consisted of a main street stretching 300 yards, three city blocks, with 75 stores and buildings and a residential neighborhood. Capra added a tree-line-centered parkway, built a working bank set, and planted 20 full-grown oak trees. Pigeons, cats, and dogs were allowed to roam uh, the mammoth set to give the town a lived-in feel. Only two locations from the film survive. The first, the swimming pool that was unveiled during the high school dance sequence, is located in the gymnasium at Beverly Hills High School and is still in use as of 2013. The second is the Martini Home in La Canada, Canada, <laughs> Flint Ridge, California. Due to the requirements of filming in an alternate reality, as well as different seasons, the exterior set was extremely adaptable. RKO Studios' heads of special effects, Russell Shearman, developed a new compound using water, soap flakes, fomite, and sugar to create chemical snow for the film. It was also good on ice cream, I hear. Uh, Before then, movie snow was usually made from untoasted cornflakes, or asbestos, which was so (laughs) loud when stepped on that dialogue had to be redubbed afterwards. This innovation won the film its only major award, a Technical Achievement Award for Russell Shearman and RKO Radio Studios special effects department asbestos asbestos <laughs> again <laughs> it's a wonderful life premiered at the globe theater in new york on december 20th 1946 to mixed reviews while capra thought the contemporary critical reviews were either universally negative or at best dismissive time said it's a wonderful life is a pretty wonderful movie it has only one formidable rival goldwyn's the best years of our lives as hollywood's best picture of the year Director Capra's inventiveness, humor, and affection for human beings keep it glowing with life and excitement. (laughs) Somewhat more iconoclastic uh, views of the films and its contents are occasionally expressed. In his review for The New Republic in 1947, film critic Manny Farber wrote, To make his points, Capra always takes an easy, simple-minded path that doesn't give much credit to the intelligence of an audience, and adds that it only has a few unsentimental moments here and there. It's a little cheesy. Mm. Hmm. In a 2010 essay for Salon, Richard Cohen described It's a Wonderful Life as the most terrifying Hollywood film ever made. 
In the Pottersville sequence, he wrote, George Bailey is not seeing the world that would exist had he never been born, but rather the world as it does exist in his time and also in our own. Buddy, you been to New Jersey? Uh, there we go. <laughs> Theatrically, when it opened... Oh, and you guys have to help me out with the numbers. You know I don't do math, so you're going to have to read those big numbers for me. Uh, theatrically, when it opened, the film's break-even point was $6.3 million, about twice the production costs, a figure it did not come close to achieving on its initial release. The film recorded a loss of $525,000. Mm-hmm. Um, $600 <laughs> at the box office for RKO. Because of the film's disappointing sales, Capra was seen by some studios as having lost his ability to produce popular, financially successful films. This was viewed as the start of a downward filmmaking trend in Capra's career. Went up against his earlier work. Although It's a Wonderful Life initially received mixed reviews and was unsuccessful at the box office, it became a classic Christmas film after it was put into the public domain, which allowed it to be broadcast without licensing or royalty fees. And thus, our friendship was born and dead. <laughs> On May 26, 1947, the Federal Bureau of Investigation issued a memo stating, with regard to the picture It's a Wonderful Life, redacted, stated in substance that the film represented rather obvious attempts to discredit bankers by casting Lyle Barrymore as a Scrooge type, so that he would be the most hated man in the picture. This, according to these sources, is a common trick used by communists. (laughs) Okay, interesting. This movie was part of the Red Scare? Mm -hmm. In addition, the memo goes on, this picture deliberately maligned the upper class, attempting to show the people who had money were mean and despicable characters. Film historian Andrew Saris points out as curious that the censors never notice the villainous Mr. Potter gets away with robbery without being caught or punished in any way. Bankers rise up, now's your time. <laughs> the film's evaluation uh, or elevation to the status of a beloved classic came three decades after its initial release when it became a television staple during Christmas season in 1976. This came as a welcome surprise to Frank Capra and others involved in its production. It's the damnedest thing I've ever seen, Capra told the Wall Street Journal in 1984. The film has a life of its own now, and I can look at it like I had nothing to do with it. I'm like a parent whose kid grows up to be president. I'm proud, but it's the kid who did the work. I didn't even think of it as a Christmas story when I first ran across it. I just liked the idea. In a 1946 interview, Capra described the film's theme as the individual's belief in himself and that he made it to that a modern trend toward atheism. Hmm. It's a Wonderful Life is considered one of the greatest films of all time, not my words, but from the internet. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and has been recognized by the American Film Institute as one of the hundred best American films ever made. It's a Wonderful Life received a Golden Globe Award for Capra as Best Motion Picture Director. He also won a CEC Award from the Cinema Cinema Writers Guild in Spain for Mejor Película película Extranjera. Best Foreign Film. Uh, Capra reveals that it was his favorite among his films he directed and that he screened it for his family every Christmas season. It was also Jimmy Stewart's favorite film. Don't quote me on that. Apparently Jimmy Stewart has a lot of favorite films that he happens to be in. In 1990, the film was designated as culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant and added to the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress. To put it briefly, there was a long copyright dispute for this film and who owned it settling today on Paramount. Really long read, I'm just saying. Also, there is so hot, so much hot, juicy drama on the colorized version of the film, which we will not be watching because it is sacrilegious and should be burnt. What, this old thing? I just watch it when I don't have anything (laughs) You watch it and you scream, you go, ah! (laughs) Uh, Which we will not be watching, in which Capra went back and forth on the process, resulting in three different colorized versions. Lastly, It's a Wonderful Life pervades through pop culture worldwide. Radio plays, musical adaptations, SNL lost ending skits, Muppets homages, sequel novels, mixed media art installments, just to name a few. More than a handful of remakes, including The Christmas Spirit, and even Click made an actual made-for-TV sequel um, with the 1990 film Clarence. 
and a recent, much often rumored 2015 direct sequel was passed around. It was to be called It's a Wonderful Life, The Rest of the Story. Allegedly written by Bob Farnsworth and Martin Bolton, it supposedly followed the angel of George Bailey's daughter Zuzu, played once again by Carolyn Grimes, as she teaches Bailey's evil grandson how different the world would have been if he had never been born. Producers were considering directors and hoped to shoot the film with a 25 to $35 million budget in Louisiana early in 2014, but no updates since. Ooh. Thankfully. So the angel in that one would have been showing a bad guy all of the things that could be better without him? or mm, Maybe if you don't change this path. Okay. Right? Okay. Like kind of a morality that. tale? I guess. I don't yeah. know. An urban legend, to end with this, as described online states, it is commonly believed that the characters of Bert and Ernie on Sesame Street were named after Bert the Cop and Ernie the Cab Driver. However, in a correction for the 1999 annual Xmas quiz in the San Francisco Chronicle, which made this claim, series writer Jerry Jewell confirmed that, per producer John Stone, the shared names were merely a coincidence. Despite this, the 1996 holiday special, Elmo Saves Christmas, references the rumor during a scene where Bert and Ernie walk by a TV set, which the movie is playing. The pair are surprised that at the line, Bert, Ernie, what's the matter with you two guys? You were here on my wedding night! <laughs> and that's all. Yeah, nice brief notes there. Mm -hmm, Thank mm -hmm. you, Drawing Board and Bedford Falls Sentinel. And now we get to the meat and potatoes where I get to hear you talk for a change. I have to ask everyone going around this table, why this film? What's your relationship to this classic seminal movie? Oh, this movie's a classic. I hadn't seen it since I... Until I went to college. Ooh. And I've seen it every year since. A little late bloomer. It's the most quotable movie. <laughs> I still say to this day, wish I had a million dollars. Hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Go ahead. Well, it's, uh, my mom really likes this movie, so I, uh, I saw this movie at a young age Ooh. and have watched it every year since. It's mm. a Christmas classic in our family. So I, I know, like, every line in this yeah. movie and, uh, yeah, it's just so fun to do a Jimmy Stewart impression. So. Yeah. Were we referencing this in high school, you think? I don't think... I don't think we did, but we both our, watched it, but we, we never brought it up. We both watched it, but it, yeah, it never came up in conversation, and then in one of our various <laughs> hangouts and stuff... We, we said, it's we, a wonderful we, life! Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, it was one of those <laughs> oh things. Oh, we're on! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really enjoy this film. I mean, as we, I get that it's cheesy and saccharine at times. That's obvious, right? It is. I, I mean... That's I the whole know. point. I find it to be... But that moment at the end, like, where the town comes together, it makes me cry. <laughs> it, it actually makes me cry every time. Everyone cries again if you don't cry. It's just... It's emotional, and I don't understand... I don't have a family. I don't have friends in Bedford Falls. <laughs> no, for some reason, always uh, the end when his brother says... Uh, the richest man in town. And oh my god, you're gonna go. Bring out the tissues. No, it's, it, I mean, it, it is kind of saccharine, but uh, I don't know. It's wholesome, as the internet would say. Yes. And I really enjoy it. It's actually, this is actually one of my favorite films. Of all time. Mm, wow. It's like a tall glass of milk. <laughs> a tall glass of milk on a cold winter's night. <laughs> um, I just really enjoyed it. I think everyone should see this, and it's going to be interesting having Dan Ryan's perspective on this pod. Have you? Are you aware of like any major scenes or characters in your... Life experiences? Yeah, through like the whole pop culture osmosis thing, I think I've, I've, I get the gist of what's going on. Um, it was just weirdly enough one of those movies that I never, I always knew about it, but I never stumbled across it. I mean, I keep Christmas in my own way, and, and my Christmas tradition has always been to watch like every adaptation of a Christmas carol. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something I, I set about to do every, and I have successfully done it every year. Um, so that, that's always been my main Christmas tentpole is just any, 
Christmas Carol. Um, but yeah, and then a few years ago, even as I've been trying to, to go back and watch movies that I should watch, uh, you, this, this night here was a, a glint in your eye, and, uh... <laughs> it was. You know, so I figured if I ever watched it, I'll watch it among friends, and I'll watch it with you guys, and that'll be the first time I sit down and give it a proper viewing, and... Here we are. Here we are. Wow. And... By all means, what you seem to be recounting is my relationship with Kenilworth, so <laughs> oh. I might be able to relate <laughs> to this. more like Pottersville. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we get to Pottersville, you're going to go, this is home. Yes. Yeah. Strip joints and... <laughs> <laughs> the speakeasies. <laughs> yeah. The cat houses. The cat oh hairs. my gosh. Well... Um, with that, I don't think there's much more for us to say. Aside well, from... we will have to, Dan, you'll have to pay attention to who's the villain of the film. Is oh. it Joseph? Is it George Bailey? Is it Harry? Okay. Is it Mr. Potter? Is it oh. Uncle Billy? Oh. Yeah, we'll it see. could be any of these people. Okay. Um, well, shall we send them off with a buffalo goes, won't, won't you come out tonight? Come out tonight. Come out tonight. <laughs> And we are back, uh, having learned that we truly do have a wonderful life. Uh, <laughs> it is a wonderful life, isn't it? Uh, sure is. You know, uh, we just watched a, a, a Christmas classic. Yeah. Um, one that the three other persons at the table <laughs> uh, certainly have been have been hyping up, and I would say it lived up to that hype. Really? I, it was an excellent movie. I can Ooh. I can easily see why. Could you see any similarities in your life, Dan? Yes, oh, uh, an uncomfortable, right. deeply uncomfortable amount. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was it was an exquisite movie. I was I was certainly feeling things, although my my <laughs> rocky exterior did not show it. I mm. I was definitely feeling things from it. So It'll get you that, that way. Ending, yeah. That ending gets every man. I was yeah. crying. Listen, Grant was sitting right next to me. I was crying. I did it. Yeah. So I, you know, uh. Yeah, I, I mean, do you guys have any additional thoughts before we get into the, that's what we usually do? But. You know, I was thinking about Grant saying this is like one of his top films, mm -hmm. and this is truly one that makes me feel every time, at least in the end. Like, it's jokes, 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 ha 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 ha, he ho ha ha ha, until we get to the end. Yeah. And um, then I really get to feel something. So yeah, I agree with Grant. Well, I, I mean, I watch it as a tradition, but I also just genuinely love the film. Mm-hmm. Sometimes watch it outside of the Christmas season. Like today. Yeah. <laughs> I think it Precisely. takes an investment because it's long. Yeah. Like it's like the it's it's ninety percent prequel and then actual mm. plot for thirty minutes. Mm -hmm. But I think it's worth it. Yeah. And that is a surprising aspect. I didn't I didn't like I like coming in from this like coming into this blind, I wouldn't have guessed that that's only like the last thirty minutes yeah. that mm -hmm. the uh yeah. the bad future stuff happens, but I don't know. I mean, you guys did. You guys did 
any jokes that you guys made were just like paralleling or referencing it's the line. Like, it's you never, like you've seen this you film never, for ten thousand times, no, but you were never mocking any aspect of the. I, I think that speaks to its quality, unlike some of the stuff that we. I would say seventy-five percent of our joking was just repeating the lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. but the fact that we knew all the lines is a uh, you know. No, exactly. Power in itself. So I, you know, I mean, compared to some of the the movies that we we clown on or have clowned on over the years, we're definitely. I don't think any mockery to this movie came from that place. It came from a place of uh, of Love. caring. So, yeah. and you guys did you did quiet down slightly when we were approaching that end. So that was like <laughs> slightly. That's slightly. no. I think it just, Dan I, said you did shut up when it, we got it, to the no, end. No, huh? it speaks. I think probably to. I think we we quieted yeah. down at the end, and we quieted down at uh, the scene where George wrecks his like bridge and yeah. stuff. Yeah, because that's yeah. sad. It's, it's sad emotional. Scene. It makes me sad. No, but I. I I think that the kind of speaks to the uh, the gravitas of it, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. Clearly, you you care. You do. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, daddy! <laughs> so shall we get into this major plot? Yeah. All right. All right. So we begin with the bells, rolling, tolling bells on the damn Buffalo Gals Overture. Uh, that brings us into Picture It, New York, <laughs> Bedford Falls, Christmas Eve, 1945. Some residents and family members offer their prayers to God for the safety of the neighborhood. Nice guy, George Bailey, TN. What do we think about this? Like, this is emotional right here, this moment, right? It gets me. <laughs> well, Somewhere. no one? Well... You don't know what's going on yet. You yeah, know. but still, it's like, uh, uh, yeah. God, please protect George Bailey. Help Daddy. He's been the best man of this world. It still gets me here. Mm. Like, I forget about the whole movie until the tail end of mm. this. But I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It provides a little bit of a like a cushion, because you, you can see that people are already kind of... Obviously, they love him. So you kind of know that from the beginning, but he doesn't know that. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. yeah. And we open on Stephen's Quintet, which is the Angels plot are comings and goings to different galaxies going on. Yeah, we get the the sticky tape and strings <laughs> five dollar production version of yeah, Styrofoam Moon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the Futurama galaxy gods talking. So. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking Clarence, old body's turn. Ugh. A simple man slash angel without his wings, even without the dumb intro music. Uh, 10.45, George will be thinking of throwing his life away, or throwing away the greatest gift of all. The capital G, capital G, greatest gift. <laughs> his life. Yes, season four cheese? of The Simpsons on... <laughs> As I said, George is throwing away cheese. Uh, Clarence's job is to stop him from doing this, and then he can earn his wings. Sit down and listen to who George Bailey's life is, and then, you know, it all gets turned upside down at that point. Um, fucking Clarence is a, a dullard, some may say. He's a, a simple mind. He, he's a, he's a, a quirky little man. Yeah. Angel. Then we flash back into George's life, uh, where Dan Ryan and Kenilworth was riding <laughs> yeah, shovels like in a simpler yeah, time yeah. as a 12-year-old. <laughs> You've never almost drowned in one foot of ice-cold water? <laughs> Well, they had a fence there, for in my case, luckily. But I, I, without a doubt, it would happen. So. They said, we've seen the movie. <laughs> it was a simpler time in 1920. Mm-hmm. Lead-based everything. So. Uh, Sam Wormwright, the real hero. George's younger brother, Harry, takes a tumble into the icy water. If only I'd let him drown. 
then the movie would be a little bit different then. Hmm? Uh, George saves Harry, but catches a cold and loses hearing in his left ear. From it. Yeah, sure does. Yeah. What's that? So, a little trivia. (laughs) The scene where young George saved his brother Harry from drowning was different in an early draft of the script. The boys play ice hiking on the river, which is on Potter's property, as Potter watches (laughs) this insane. George shoots the puck, but it goes astray and breaks the no trespassing sign and lands in Potter's yard. Potter becomes irate, and the gardener releases the attack dogs, which causes the boys to flee. Release the hounds. Henry <laughs> falls, and the ice and George saves him from the same results. What a dick. Real Mr. Burns energy. That is, okay. a, that is a Mr. Burns move. He works at Old Man Gower's uh, drugstore. Mr. Potter rolls up. Who's that? A king? No worse. A registered Republican. Uh, the meanest, richest man you ever did see? And he was old even back then. He's Hee-haw perpetually old. Yeah. One, five and a half minutes. I wish I had a million dollars, hot dog, young Mary, and young Violent use intrigue to fight over George's affection. Okay, well, to put it in context, the hot dog thing is there's like a little, like, what is it, like a lighter? Like a match or something. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and he has a recurring thing into adulthood that he'll pull it and be like, mm-hmm. I wish I had a million dollars. <laughs> Hot dog. <laughs> and now that makes sense. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite line. <laughs> yeah. Young Mary and young Volet use intrigue to fight over George's affection. Even at 12 years old, the sexual tension is palpable. Good point. You like every boy. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Mary puts on her feminine wiles, along with George referring to her as brainless. What a catch. George, oh, and he's also uh, calls her brainless for not liking coconuts on her ice cream. Coconuts on her ice cream. Coconuts. Do you know, know where they come from? A ninny? Tahiti. Tahiti. Hawaii. I learned that on my explorer guide, my <laughs> National Geographic. <laughs> yeah, my World Explorer's Explorer Guide. My Gundam Monthly Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> my GameStop Power Now Magazine. <laughs> my Nintendo Power Magazine. This is a right here in Game Informer Magazine. Look at this Super Mario Sunshine. <laughs> you got a got a little sprayer and everything. <laughs> George wants to travel the world to lol tell another Mary whispers her love in George's bad year this is your bad year Dan Ryan I fucking hate you <laughs> what, was that? what was that what was that Mr. Gower is drunk and sad his son has died of influenza causing him to go on a bender George has mistakenly given poisonous capsules to deliver and knows this but seeks out the aid of his father Peter Bailey because Pa, he knows. Ask Dad, Ask he knows. Dad, he knows. <laughs> I, my, my dad always likes that scene. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> At his business, the Bailey brothers in building alone. Ask Dad, did he know his classic propaganda? Uncle Billy tells George he can't barge in right now since Potter is trying to foreclose on everything again. He's not a failure, but no defending Billy. Huh? Uh, is this like a daily activity for this guy? And since Uncle Billy is a useless human being, there's no one to ask. I think you're being a little too hard on Uncle Billy. For now. For now. <laughs> for now. An for old now. fool. <laughs> so a little trivia. Where's that money up In another draft, after he unsuccessfully attempts to consult his father about his drugstore dilemma... George considers asking Uncle Billy, but Billy is on the phone with the bank examiner. Uh, Billy lights his cigar and throws his match in the white wastebasket. Uh, George turns to Tilly, who along with Eustace are his cousins, although now Billy's kids. 
I, I put that down. I don't know where I copied that from exactly. But she is on the phone with her friend, Martha, and she says, Potter's here. The bank examiner's coming. It's a day of judgment. The wastebasket suddenly catches fire and Billy cries for help. Tilly fire, runs in and puts the fire out with a pot of coffee. George decides to deal with the situation by himself. More Uncle Billy fuck-ups. So, That's yeah. that good Maxwell House coffee. Puts out any fire. <laughs> I mean, it would make sense if they foreshadowed Billy... You could destroy worse. the business. Yeah. Literally. No, yeah. I get that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, George decides not to deliver the poison and gets the shit kicked out of him by a drunk Mr. Gower. So according to Bobby Anderson and the confrontation between Mr. Gower and young George, H.B. Warner, um, slapped him for real and made his ear bleed, rejoicing him to tears. Warner hugged him after the scene was shot. So it's all good. Right? Yeah. Method acting. Real blood. A hug yeah. cures all. It's kind of impressive that they filmed that scene. Yeah. You know. When child labor laws didn't exist? Well, no, I mean, I mean more <laughs> the fact that he was able to go on with that scene despite his ear actually bleeding. Yeah. Everybody wanted to work for Mr. Warner. <laughs> for the paycheck. Uh, gotta love that lack of children's safety in old Hollywood. Mr. Gower realizes his mistake and apologizes to George. George went over to hell. What a nice guy. Right? He didn't mean to do it. He didn't mean to do it, right, Mr. Gower? <laughs> in his college years George morphs into Jimmy Stewart who is a tender young 16 years old 16 going on 40 <laughs> well yeah like uh, the walk hard he's like I'm, I'm just a 16 year old boy <laughs> <laughs> oh my 14 year old son <laughs> yes he's getting ready to travel go to college and get out of Bedford Falls his first and only vacation this movie is literally three fourths of flashback <laughs> Uh, everybody loves George. Bert and Ernie, cop and cab driver, love George as well. Violet has grown into the town's trumpet, <laughs> aka a hot piece of ass. Uh, at home, George loves a quirky Kaufman hard lifestyle with his parents, the maid, and his brother. Harry's graduation party is that night. I'd freak the suck out of, well, the fuck out too if my son was wheeling my china plates all over town. So yeah, you're all we, going to your high school gymnasium with all my good Havilland china plates. Can we yeah. discuss how Harry is the jackass of this film? He doesn't um, know any better. He's he, just the he's, cherub child. He's, yeah, he's just kind of like that uh, that brother that gets away with everything and nobody ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the vibe he gives off. Not like malice or anything. Eh. I don't know though because he does leave George hanging. I'd say his the the biggest dick move is when he comes back. Yeah. Um, married and like decides to still leave George holding the bag at the building in Rome. Mm. But we're jumping ahead of ourselves. <laughs> All right. So bum bum bum. Potter is sick. Sick hates everyone and might not have a soul. George is the only one who can afford to send to college, so we get this whole plot that's like, George, you're going to college, and everyone else is staying behind, so we need you to get out of this town and be better with your life, but at the same time, we're going to passively, aggressively want you to stay. Well, yeah, and then presumably you'll go to college for four years, then by that time, Harry will be working in the building and loan office, and then he'll have enough cash to go to college after the fact. But they only have enough to send one son at a time, so... Who wants to be cooped up in an office that whole time? It's a shit job. Yeah. Oh, no offense, <laughs> Who Dad. What's the shitty job that you have, Dad? Besides you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> George has always taken responsibility silently. Peter and George, uh, uh, to come back to the building alone after college, George doesn't want to live out his days in town. Working for the simple man, finding purpose, Potter controls it all. George decides to go to the dance that night, and we get hee-haw. Let me introduce you to my ugly fucking sister. <laughs> 
Yeah. Grant, feel oh, free yeah. to share. <laughs> yeah, let me let me introduce. <laughs> Can you just, you know, uh, of course. So, um, <laughs> this guy walks up to George and asks, uh, "Could you just give my sister a, a thrill and dance with her once? She's an old she's an old dog. She's old maid, <laughs> old fucking hound." <laughs> and of course, it's Donna Reed. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Ew. Um, mm. But yeah, so well, then you wrote hot dog indeed. Uh, but they start dancing, and obviously there's like this whole kind of instant connection between them. Because I think uh, uh, what's George kind of realizes, oh, it's the it's the gal who used to hang around the malt shop. So yeah. uh, I've never seen you before. Good year, George <laughs> Bailey. Well, I see you every day in town. Oh, in that dress. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but they start. You know, he like kind of. I don't know, it's like this instant connection, like, he, she hands off her drink to the guy, Othello, or whatever, who was trying to yeah, talk well, to her. Well, that's his character name, right? Yeah. Like, it makes sense that he's the betrayed lover at this point. But they, uh, they start dancing, and, uh, the dance quickly turns into a Charleston contest. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Did your trigger memory act up, guys, from our <laughs> sure did. speakeasy? Yeah. Yeah? Certainly. Same track. It's a Pavlovian response. <laughs> yeah. So some jokers open up the pool underneath the dancers, and it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Uh, looks like they're going for a swim. <laughs> <laughs> they were, in the fact, going for a swim. I love that the audience is like, oh, oh, but no one stops them from yeah. it. No one's like, there's a pool opening up underneath your feet. Oh, it must be pretty good. Yeah. So uh, George and Mary steal some clothes from the locker room. Uh, then they walk home, flirting to Buffalo Gals, their song. Whenever that song happens, you know sex is in the near future. Go panty drop for that song. <laughs> and Buffalo. Donnie Reed and uh, Jimmy are not 18-ish in this film. They're quite older. How old are you? 18. Uh, <laughs> 18 going on 30. <laughs> they admire the old Granville house. I love that old crack dad. <laughs> Let me throw some rocks through it. Just to have fun. I'd like to live in there. Their nosy neighbor is a real mood because he's looking at them like, are you gonna fuck? Or not? You gotta fuck or what? What am I sitting uh, out here for? Yeah. Uh, both make wishes. George for travel and success and Mary for something else, which I'm convinced she's like, George Bailey's gonna live with me in this <laughs> shithole town forever. <laughs> I mean, that's what I think. Um, you want the moon? <laughs> Will you two fuck already or not? But okay, but that is that is the big one of the big romantic moments that you guys pointed out. I was like, mm-hmm. you what? What do you want? The moon? I'll throw I'll a lasso it down for you, and yeah. that becomes a thing that obviously sticks in. Uh, <laughs> oh God, uh, Mary's head. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, we then get some accidental nudity. I'm here in the hydrangea bushes. <laughs> Well, I got an opportunity here. and you know, uh, Uncle Billy rolls up, and Dad has had a stroke. So Peter dies, and George, um, you know, is the title heir to the building alone at this point. Uh, Potter gets some sign, snide remarks about George, and then George takes office. He's like, well, you know, Potter's a fucking dick. So uh, maybe you shouldn't let Potter take over the t- People do a lot of living and working and dining in this town. Is it too much to ask for them to do living and working and dining in a good two-bedroom and a bath? <laughs> yeah, so, okay, like, the main thing we have established is, like, uh, the the Bailey building alone seems to be the only thing keeping, the like, the, uh, like, they provide housing and stuff and construction for 
like everyone in town, whereas Mr. Potter would kind of dick everyone over. So it's kind of like, you know, we, we get the vibe early on that the town will go to shit without this Bailey building alone present, yeah. as as we see it does. But yeah. It's the only place people can go without Preston Potter for a long... Right? It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we get to Jimmy the Raven. <laughs> An iconic character. You may have noticed Uncle Billy has this raven that he carries around with him. The Angela Lansbury of this film. <laughs> so Jimmy the Raven, Uncle Billy's pet, appeared in You Can't Take It With You and each subsequent Capra film and The Wizard of Oz. He appeared in more than a thousand feature films, this raven. His human co-stars were complimentary of the bird when they called Jimmy. We both answer. <laughs> Remarked Jimmy Stewart on the set of It's a Wonderful Life, uh, noting that the Raven is the smartest actor on the set, requiring fewer retakes than his human counterparts. In short, for $10,000, Jimmy received a Red Cross gold medal and acknowledgement of 200 hours spent entertaining veterans after the war, and his footprints were enshrined in the cement at, at a large Los Angeles pet store alongside Lassie and other Hollywood animal stars. So you're saying they could have just sold the raven and gotten all the money they needed? Well, Jimmy the Raven. <laughs> There's another alternate ending. Might yeah. be the best actor in this film. Uh, George hears that Billy and the staff are out of business, and George has been appointed as executive secretary. George wants to leave, but they would vote Mr. Potter in otherwise. Uh, a reminder of these angels, George gives his college money to Harry and gives up the mantle for his father, Four years later, Harry returns home with a new wife, Ruth, and a new job offer out of town at a glass factory in Buffalo. Uh, got married without telling anyone. Uh, Harry is the worst in my mind, which Grant didn't really feel the same. Well, no. What? No, I feel like this this scene was the only real like dick move by Harry. Cause well, he... he leaves George carrying the bag. Well, He's like, George, saying. I won't leave you carrying the bag. I'll just leave you carrying the bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like I, I I don't he he leaves the door open to like if my brother asks me to come back and take the like but then you know George asks George like does. the fiance like okay is the job really that good he's like well maybe but he can you know make his way up if he wants so it's like I don't know it's it's that instinct if you want to is is George going to keep his brother confined there like he is i don't know yeah it's probably less bad on harry and more just speaking to george's character Mm -hmm. i would think but so there's this wedding party at the bailey house and uncle billy is fucking sloshed in a scene where uncle billy gets drunk at harry and ruth's welcome home slash newlyweds party and staggers away off camera a crash is heard off screen which i thought you two might or you three might notice um mitchell as uncle billy yells i'm all right i'm all right a technician had actually knocked over some equipment capra left in mitchell's impromptu ad lib and rewarded the technician with ten dollars thanking him for his sound improvement hmm. wow so well, like some real actual scene. sets got knocked over and this actor coped with it what a happenstance <sighs> Gotta be there to know it. Uh, George grows wistful at all the places he won't go. And Mary is back to school. Back from school. So it's like, you know, you want to fuck that Mary over there? She's ovulating at the time period. Yeah, George's mom is uh, pushing him out the door a little bit. You two should go fuck. Uh, Sam (laughs) Wainwright is crazy about Mary, but not the other way around. She wants your hot dog, George. (laughs) That's basically what she's saying. Uh, Passionate necking. 
Uh, Violet spies George on her way over there, and we get this iconic scene where it's like, Oh, do you want to go out, George Bailey? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to take our shoes off and Let's climb walk Mount the Bedford. And dip in the lake and wake up with a pine cone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go out in the fields and take off our shoes and walk on the grass. You must be fucking insane, Take off my Bailey. shoes. <laughs> And the town laughs at them. Yeah, the entire town town is just around them (laughs) laughing. Yeah, an iconic scene with Mary at home with her nag of a mother, who is the most iconic character in the film. She's just always on the staircase, always like, Sam Wainwright's calling from New York. (laughs) Gabriel Barra's calling from New York. You better answer. Uh... Mary steps on her LP of Buffalo Gals. This will get them. The only song this movie got the rights to. <laughs> Remember, Mary, Sam is going to call you tonight from New York. He's making violent love to me, mother. So we get like this whole introduction scene where Mary's on the like outskirts with, with Sam George. No, well, not Sam George. Well, no, I thought you meant on the outs with like or. Well, no, Sam Wainwright. Yeah, she's not into Sam Wainwright. She's yeah, into yeah, George. She's yeah. hunting down that dick. George but she like, she's like, open the window. She's fucking engraved. <laughs> she's <laughs> like, hey, George has a whole her, the house staged for him to come yeah. in. He comes in and he's like, oh, 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 what are you doing here? Kicks down the gate. Walks yeah. in. It's like, oh, I just came in to get warm. Oh, what's this? Lasso around the moon? Funny joke. Uh, funny yeah. joke. <laughs> it's the fact that she's engraved a cushion for George yeah. for me. It's like she knew what was happening. She wanted George and she got him good. And the mom is like, what's he doing down there? And she's like, making passionate <laughs> love to me, mother. Uh, I just don't understand. And then Sam Wainwright calls and they both like get horny on this phone call with Sam Wainwright. <laughs> They're literally breathing oh. into each other's mouths yeah. the entire time. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to give you a good job in plastic soybeans. <laughs> oh, oh, Sam. Oh, no. All right. They're not. They're not they getting, are. They no, are getting no, off. Hold, hold up. They're not getting off because Sam is talking to them about soybeans. <laughs> they're no, getting off because they're like close together and like huddled around this old timey telephone. And I love this mother. She's like, I'm not on the extension. Click. <laughs> I would be listening if there's anything worth listening to. <laughs> uh, but they put some money in our stock and have a job for George. Oh, yeah, because Sam is making plastic out of soybeans. And yeah. he gives them, like, he gives both of them An a offer. chance to, yeah, to invest. Like, in, yeah. Get on the ground floor. His man. startup. There weren't many startups in that time. <laughs> yeah. But they both yes. deny it. <laughs> over passion over their time. And then... Mary winds up entering, uh, marrying George. <laughs> he, he wants George to be an angel. Investor yeah. <laughs> uh, George and Mary make their way on down to the station. A guardian angel investor. <laughs> <laughs> Second class. <laughs> oh. Sorry. A little no, okay. financial humor. Uh, George and Mary make on their way down to the station for their worldwide honeymoon trip. We're going to go to fucking Bangkok. We're going to go to Zanzibar, <laughs> Italy, Rome. We're going to eat the richest caviar and the best wine. Yeah. And then Eddie. Yeah, Mary flashes the cash. <laughs> so, so we got $2,000. I'm a bootlegger's wife. <laughs> Eddie has these lines where it's like, you know, if you're two are fucking in the back. <laughs> I won't look. I'm here too. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh, something funny is going on at the bank. And then we get the bum bum bum. And I had to get like Grant and Greg. Grant, Grant and Gabe <laughs> to explain what was happening to me. I don't understand. Trying to take the cash. 
care to explain to our viewers? Well, the stock market crash, so people are trying to get their money out of the bank and into, like, actual physical cash while they still can. Yeah. Mm. And if everyone does that at once, then there's no more That's money left the in the bank. Yeah. yeah. There's a run on the bank! <laughs> Your money's not in the bank! Your money's in... <laughs> it's in the Bill's house! It's in Tron's house! Uncle Billy is day drinking as everyone in the town reaches the bank. The bank calls the loan. No cash left. Potter is on the line. Well, 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 Dan Ryan. <laughs> Looks like you're selling 50 cents on the dollar, huh? Well, yeah, he's selling. He's gonna, he's if buying. he's gonna buy up shares yeah. for 50 cents on the dollar. Well, Dan, if you stay open till 6 p.m., I'll be the monkey's I'll be up the creek. I have <laughs> never seen a bank open until 6 p.m. That's ludicrous. No, that's a that's like a John Caffiero move. It's oh, like, I'll yeah. give you one yeah. more for yeah. three locks. For the longest road. Uh, Otherwise, you'll go belly up. <laughs> yes, we've been there before. <laughs> and then George asked the crowd, well, how much money do you need? All of it. <laughs> no, no, you don't need all of it. And he's doling it out because they have $2,000 from their honeymoon fund, which is a lot of fucking money back in that day. But well, well how much do you need? $17.50. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, and speaking to, to Mary's character, like, she's the one who, like, show, like oh, we yeah. do have that. Yeah. So it's not like... It's not a setup All where George, there's like conflict yeah. between yeah. them. It's it's they're both. They're both but good Mary people. left town. She went to college. What did George get? George didn't leave town. George <laughs> no. didn't go to college. No. Um, but they're left with two bucks at the end of the day. So that's enough for them to stay open. They two do little, simoleons. <laughs> they do a little like Mardi Gras celebration and deposit in the bank. Those two simoleons better do some passionate necking. <laughs> and. <laughs> We determined that Bert and Ernie and Mary have prepared a honeymoon getaway surprise for George at the Granville House, their new home. Cute, but pretty sure they're gonna listen to the Baileys make love. So, I mean, like, this is a condemned home. I don't think it is. It's raining yeah, inside of the home. Well, yeah, it's like dripping, like wet inside this house. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a judgment call though. This is probably my favorite scene. Why so, Dan Ryan? I just think it's I think it's a very sweet little scene and it's an indicator that like even if George has it rough, he has friends who are like willing to to like uh, you know, put like help his wife put the in like the one of them is like playing the fake little bellhop and it's like I'm like okay. He's got he's surrounded by people who care about him. That's like a good summation of yeah, so I, I really like this moment, even and, if it isn't a condemned house. But and for Gabe, I put down birds do it, bees do it, even educated fleas do it. Let's make whoopee, baby. Uh, George establishes Bailey Park, a new housing development, and welcomes the Italian family, the Martinis. The garlic eaters. <laughs> Eight family members and a goat. It's all good. Bread that this, this house, house may, may never, never know, know hunger. hunger. Salt that life may always have flavor. And wine that joy and prosperity may reign forever. Yeah. Okay. So context. Uh, George and Mary. When I guess when they sell each of these houses, they like make a point to welcome the yeah, families in well, with uh, like uh, you know like this gift because they're like you know they're people. They're about the people. Yeah. So. They do like Polish first library in Europe. Mm. Yay. <laughs> I don't know what else. <laughs> Is that the first appearance of the jalopy, too? Or, yeah. No. No, well, yeah. Well, their jalopy, yeah. Yeah, their jalopy. Not the yeah. jalopy. It's contrasted and with Sam Wainwright's who just Who just drives by and is like, oh, hey, George, look at how rich I am. Yeah. I just happen to be driving through I town. I just happen to be driving by watching you, like, sell this house. Grant pulls up in his rocket ship. <laughs> 
once they mention (laughs) Sam Wainwright visiting two drives down to Florida's with us. Can't get away. Hee haw. Uh, Mr. Potter is pissed that someone else is mooching off on his profits, and that person is George Bailey. He's a boil on my neck. Long enough. Uh, Potter calls on George, and then they're all smoking stogies and making money moves. Potter's literal iron skull on his desk that Grant pointed out. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, you want me to sell to those garlic eaters? <laughs> <laughs> but this is like a Dan and Jonathan, uh, are you going to sell your soul? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm an old man. <laughs> Someone needs to replace I mean, me. <laughs> I'm just a kindly old man offering $20,000. It's difficult because Potter does awful, uh, offer a good deal here. Yeah, but he's, I have to say, it's a good deal. Yeah. It's yeah, so, <laughs> a phenomenal deal. Work for me and make $20,000 a year, and according to my calculator, that's a 30000 a year by today's standards. 300000 300000 sorry. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, he could travel too. Also, relationship between Potter and his manservant. I mean, just saying that manservant doesn't have any lines throughout this whole piece. Well, yeah, he has a Smithers guy who doesn't talk. So, uh, trying to get the building alone out of pettiness. Twenty four hours to think about it. George is about to sign his soul away, but after a handshake, he senses an evil vibe from Potter. And Grant, why don't you take over? Yeah. So he senses <laughs> an evil vibe from Potter, and and you know George. Tells Potter what for. He says, oh, you, you just sit around here and spin your little webs. Uh, you're, you're, you're nothing but a scurvy little spider. Uh, and so so George, uh, you know, dashes out of there and returns home to contemplate his choice. Of just turning down $300,000 And then a what year. is Donnery doing in the bed? She's like, hmm, <laughs> Buffalo gals, won't you come out tonight? Oh, they're about to come out. Come out tonight. Are we having a boy or a girl? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So they're, like, laden with two children at that point. Um, she is pregnant. You on the nest. Both a boy and a girl. Then another boy and a girl. Pete, Janie, Tommy, and Juju. Uh, catching up with the plot. World War II happens. Uh, Sherman, wrong war. Uh, George can't enlist due to his bad year, but everybody helps out. Sam Wainwright makes a fortune in plastics. And who put Potter in charge of drafting? Because he's like, group 1A. Well, yeah, just further cementing him as the evil. <laughs> Is that supposed to be like a like a, like a a side note for the plot? That, yeah. like, Potter well, send Har- yeah. Har- sends Harry he to He sent them war- to the front line. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I because he that. doesn't fucking care about them. I missed that. He wants okay. them to die, Dan. Uh, he's putting them all at the front lines. What a dick. Bert, Ernie, Marty, and Harry all fight. Harry becomes a war hero. George stays home and does many odd jobs. We arrive at today, 30 minutes into the, like, till the tail end of the movie. We're here at Christmas. This morning, Christmas Eve, Harry won the Congressional Medal of Honor with the president now, and his homecoming is tonight. George is buying papers and celebrating. Uncle Billy is just, haters gonna hate this whole day. He's gone to deposit $8,000 in the bank, and he is feeling his fantasy, Hanny. Casual $121,000. Yeah, as according to my money calculator, this is $120,000, $500. But of course, before he can deposit it, he he can't help but take the gloat. opportunity to gloat to Mr. Potter about the uh, the old Baileys uh, making a name for themselves at the Congressional Medal. <laughs> and he, uh, <laughs> he says uh, not every heel was in Germany and Japan, implying that uh, Potter was... 
also a heel. Now, this would be me and Dan. <laughs> Dan yeah. would come and gloat, and I would snatch that money in a second. I wouldn't tell Dan a thing about it. And my Elden Ring pre-order receipts <laughs> $8,000? <laughs> but is Potter really a villain? Yes. 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 I mean, yes, he, he is, is but... These people are dumb. All right. Well, all right. So I know the the joke is that Uncle Billy is the the, the tree ah, fucker. We have yes, Dan. Dan, Dan, who's Dan, the villain who's of the, the film? <laughs> Not yet. At the end. All right. Well, can I say my my sure. piece? All right. Potter is definitely the actual villain of this movie because he he gets the eight thousand dollars and he knows like he takes it and keeps it and he knows that. Um, George and Uncle Billy are looking for it, and he still holds on to it and further <laughs> tries to get George arrested. He basically causes George to kill himself. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He pretty much. Yeah, he's like, he, he you're worth more dead than alive. But George does have that moment where he's like, "Fucking Uncle Billy, I'm gonna fucking kill you!" Like, yeah, you, yeah. you should say... kill yourself. Yeah, yeah, but you can't. What does say, that mean? You can't say that he's the Uncle Billy is the actual villain of the movie. That's what I feel. Who knows what Dan will feel? <laughs> they should have given Dan him may Jimmy. Violet is the oh, true villain of the movie. Violet, they should have given him Jimmy the Crow. Jimmy the Crow would have never let him yeah, do that mistake. True. So after all this is gone and uh, uh, George is done strangling Uncle Billy, we get Violet stops in to see George for a loan. She's broken. George gives her the money and some extra no questions asked. She uh, gives him a little peck on the cheek. Like, I love you, George Bailey. George said, I can't say no to this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Violet gives him peck and appreciation. This doesn't look so good uh, to Carter. Uh, without the money, this is a scandal and criminal offense. Uncle Billy would have been slapped so fast. Where's that money? This fucking menagerie. So, like, Uncle Billy is, like, going through it like, oh, I had it, George. I had it today, but I don't, I don't, I don't know what I did with it. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those, it's like, I don't know, I think it's a really well done little stretch, because like Billy like tears up his entire office and then tears up his entire house. Yeah. Uh trying to find the envelope, but we know uh, where it is. <laughs> so George fumes his way home where his wife and children are preparing Christmas and this scene always gets me. It's like angry daddy is home. Yeah. Sad. It is sad cuz he like goes to each of the children he's like, "Oh, fuck you. You're singing. <laughs> I, I fucking lost $8,000." Yeah. He today. does take a moment to belittle each of them. So. <laughs> Daddy, it's... daddy, I burped. <laughs> ah, fuck you, Gabe. I like when he's on the phone with Mrs. Welch and then, oh, Mr. Welch. That's fucking messed up as a teacher in today's day and age. It's like, you let my child walk home naked? Yeah. What kind of stupid person are you? pneumonia going on. Oh, my God. Uh, but after George apologizes, Mary makes a, phone, uh, a few phone calls. And well, like, yeah, well, before that, we have the, the scene where... Oh, Zuzu. Well, Zu yeah, so so Zuzu um Zuzu was sent home sick and she has this flower <laughs> that she's trying to keep alive and I wanna keep this flower alive. George goes up to console her and um a few of the petals fall off of the flower. And George pockets those petals, which we will see play a pivotal well, somewhat pivotal role <laughs> a later. Pivotal on. petal. Yes. It's a mouse catool that will help us out later. Yes. A peck of pivotal petals. <laughs> um yeah, and then uh, George goes back down, and I I always get kind of choked up at the scene where like he he just like wrecks all of his like hobby stuff. Yeah, and then he throws the table, and Donna reads like, 
what's wrong with you? Yeah, no. I don't know you anymore, George. Yeah, he kind of apologizes and walks out, and then that fucking balustrade, though. Oh, the banister. He rips the knob off the the banister. Which again? Well, why didn't you just Miss get Amelia glue? Price? Yeah, he has hobby glue for his house. For his Golden Gate Bridge, but because <laughs> like a whole recurring thing is that like uh, Mary fixed up the house to make it look yeah. like beautiful, um, but it still obviously has faults in some places, and it's a recurring thing that George keeps taking off the uh, the banister post every time he walks by. And it's always one of those things, like a little everyday thing that's going to piss you off yeah. when it builds. So. No, well, it well it's sense. also at this point in the movie, um, so I mean, George is still kind of living in this rundown house when he could have had a really nice uh, salary <laughs> from Potter and Sam Wainwright is making fat stacks in New yeah. York. So. Yeah. so he's not feeling it so and, much. Yeah, he's still stuck in Bedford Falls. Yeah. So. Uh, but George does apologize. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'd be better off dead than alive. I'm going to drink. Which, in this situation, never go drink, George. No. That's going to bring you down, right? They didn't know that at that time. But luckily, time. everyone in the bar knows him. So Yeah, and Mary also makes a few phone calls. She's yeah. like, Uncle Billy, what the fuck happened? Yeah. <laughs> you stupid What did you do? <laughs> and then, uh, should we pray for Daddy? Pray very pray hard. Pray for Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> we want that to happen. Uh, George is tired of being the whipping boy, won't say what's wrong. Uh, oh, sorry, I read that off. But George walks off, uh, no other choice, and he, like, goes to this bar, right? And then he gets beat up by this other guy. Well, before that, he goes to, to Potter. Oh, to Potter, To see if he yeah. can get some, in a last-ditch <laughs> effort, tries to get some money from Potter. Where, where, where? Yeah. <laughs> where, where, I've where, notified where? the press and police. <laughs> Yeah. John, I just need one wheat. <laughs> but he's giving... He's like, well, there's been news around the town that you've been smooching violent. You've, you've, been, been, you've been sleeping around with that violent Mick. <laughs> As a shareholder of the building and loan, I'm calling the police I'm for your police. arrest. And then, Dan Ryan, you're more worth dead than alive. <laughs> Maybe you should just kill yourself, eh? What a dick. What a dick indeed. It seems to me you're worth more dead than alive. Go to the riffraff and ask. There's this arrest warrant out for George Bailey. George is, as Gabe would say, at the end of his rope. At the end of my rope. Wow, I had to say that. And seeks refuge in booze at Martini's. Uh, there he is contemplating suicide. And Mr. Welch comes over and is like, Why are you talking to my wife? My wife is crying. Yeah. Bop. So obviously not helping George's mood. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but with that punch, uh, George's mouth starts bleeding. He's which... not a looking so good. <laughs> yeah, he was His mouth so is good. bleeding. Yeah, mouth bleeding, Bart. <laughs> um, so George leaves in a kind of a drunken haze and uh, drives. Don't drink and drive. <laughs> but he's drunk driving, slams into a tree, and some old coot comes out and says, Ah, this tree is my grandfather's tree. tree. It's the oldest tree in Bedford Falls. It's the Twin Pine Mall. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, George then stumbles to the, uh, the bridge. Oh, I want to wear! I want to jump off. That's what I want to do. He's about to jump off, and Dan's then about to jump off, and then I jump in the river. And then who? who <laughs> be? But Clarence Oddbody jumps yeah. into the river, it's and just... George dives down to help him. Would you save Clarence Oddbody? <laughs> Clarence BMW body made wrong. 
possible. Possible. It, it's possible. Not probable. Oh, no, that one was cold. Possible. It was icy out. It's cold. It's icy. I, I don't know how to dive. <laughs> you don't know how to dive like those kids dive no. in the pool? No, Not a George does this really nice dive into the pool. That's true. Well, he did save his brother. That's two out of two he saved. Yeah. Oh yeah, comes full circle. Oh, that is a parallel. Yeah. Although oh. he saved his brother out of one foot of water. Yeah, <laughs> and this was like a river with rapids. Yeah. <laughs> so George dives in to save Clarence while getting warm on the branch. Clarence reveals himself to be a guardian angel, not afraid to fuck up people with his mentality. He's like wearing old school clothing. It's like, well, you know, back in my day, we didn't have this. I'm an angel, and this one like bridge guard backs off from this. Like, Oh shit! Oh yeah, <laughs> and he's with this shit. he's got his copy of Tom Sawyer because he likes Tom Sawyer. Yeah. Uh, so it's Christmas. It's the final twenty minutes of the movie. George lips heals, and thing things get a little strange. Uh, his ears healed. No crash car. He goes up to the old man like, "I crashed the car here." Oh, you must be thinking another tree. This is the oldest tree in Pottersville. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Don't you know where? I, don't you think I know where I live? And then we get to Pottersville. Jonathan Berg. <laughs> a den of scum and villainy, as Dan would point out. This is Newark, New Jersey. Jazz. Drugs. And liquor. Girls. Stay away Girls. from jazz and liquor. liquor. Uh, Martinis is now Nick's uh, honky-tonk asking for mold wine. Oh, lol, you bunch of pixies. I mean, we should note that the future Pottersville like economy is just an entire street of strip clubs. So yeah, it's like girls, whatever girls, they're, girls. yeah, whatever they're whatever they're doing, Pottersville seems to be functioning. So yeah. I don't like it's just all strip Free clubs. Though. Economy, that's it's, what the economy demanded. It's rough and then hard we, liquor for men who want to get drunk fast. No, yeah. and then. It's well, a really heart-rending scene that old Mr. Gower comes in. Right, that, yeah. That's not the one that gets me. It's yeah. rough. He's like, no. oh, that's the child killer that's that lives around here. No one wants to talk with him. Like, yeah. what the fuck He's was like that? A homeless man. Yeah. So without George's, uh, without George having ever lived, you know, uh, in his grief, Mr. Gower does poison somebody accidentally, and he's locked up for, like, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's one of the... Well, George still doesn't believe it. He's still kind of like, you're a hypnotist. You're putting some kind of spell on me. Yeah. But he's, like, realizing that, oh, I don't exist anymore. So. Yeah. But then we get, I'm giving out wings. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Here I am tapping until someone covers. Uh, You're so, not wings, baby. Well, then you say the Twilight Zone theremin starts playing. Uh, he's got no Zuzu pedals, no ID, no 4F card. Um, and he's he's running through downtown Bedford Falls, but now it's Pottersville. Uh, oh my gosh, what happened everywhere. to my wife? <laughs> what happened to Donna Reed? Oh, not yet. We're First not we that, see, yeah. Oh. yeah, we see Violet soliciting. Oh yeah, everybody. she's, she's fucking soliciting sex, isn't she? Yeah. That's child, rough. I thought he was, she was just a dancer. But yeah, that's yeah. the implication. She's a dancer who went too far. <laughs> a little too far. Oh my gosh. And then, you know, we see him looking around for his wife. Show me. Show me where Mary went. Well, he no, has to go later home on, first. The, the, yeah, uh, it's like Ernie, take me home. He's like to the abandoned home. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and then also the building alone, building alone that that's been shuttered for thirty years or yeah. whatever. And uh, yeah, so then then he gets in the cab. He's trying to. He's talking to Ernie like he's a buddy, and he's like, "Okay, take me to my my mom's house." And then. They go to uh, Ma Bailey's boarding house. How depressing is that, though? Your ma owns a boarding house and doesn't know who you are? 
She's like, no, well, it my would be son... shocking. But... <laughs> my son died. I'm just saying. Yeah, Uncle Billy's in the same Except asylum. The only good point of this timeline, which I mean, we point out. Uncle Billy got is getting the help he needs. Yeah, he's yeah. getting the good. He's off in Arkham, so. Yeah. <laughs> and there's one upside of this. <laughs> That's one side plot. Because yeah. yeah. he looks like the, uh, the ventriloquist. Well, alright, so I'll take this. All right, this uh, little sidebar. There's an episode of Batman the Animated Series where um, oh. Robin shows Batman "It's a Wonderful Life" because it's about a guy who, yeah, like you remember that episode. Right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So uh, nice little little tidbit there. <laughs> Cover that one next Dan year. Grant, no, huh? yeah. no, that was a, no, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Uncle Billy is insane asylum. <laughs> one upside, as I said, uh, my son Harry died. No George to save them. Countless lives lost. So since Harry didn't save those lives on the Potomac, See, George, order, you yeah. really did have a wonderful yeah, life. That's another line that gets me. And he said it. Uh, Mary is on the street. So I mean, they do get like beat up by the cops before this. Yeah. Well, when they're in the house, well, house, yeah, the cops are there. So the cops as you put beat up here, an angel. All Berts are bad. Yeah, they go fucking yeah, kill him. Runs away. Well, they don't know how much, how much danger Clarence is actually in. He's just kind of he's got to play he along. He still gets it. beat up. He, well, goes, he does ah, it. Well, he does beat, beat up, but then he like teleports before like the the you know, the cop can grab him. Uh, yeah. So it, it's it's like, uh, but yeah, no. Clarence is playing along. Everyone can both see and feel them. Is the point? Like they they are actually amongst the people interacting, mm. but. And finally, George asks, where's Mary? Where's my oh. wife, Mary? Oh. This is the moment. This is the moment, Gabe. you got to take it. you got to explain the whole moment to us. And he just rings Clarence by the neck. He's yeah, like, oh, where's Mary? Mary? He's like, oh, well, she, she never married. She's an old maid. Where is she? <laughs> she's at the library. <laughs> Ew, she's got glasses and a hat. Yeah, <laughs> it's <gosh>. disgusting. <laughs> oh, let her be dead instead. Let her die. But There's nothing see- worse than working for a living. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I don't. In, I guess in the bad future, she needed glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> like her eye vision left after that dick. <laughs> no, but just the worst fate that she had, like worst possible fate that they could imagine is that she didn't get married. <laughs> so, yeah, it just makes it make sense because he's like he accosts her in the streets and she's like ah. <laughs> Although what's funny is you know if George didn't exist, she would have gotten in ground floor of the plastics industry and would have been fabulously right. wealthy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So George accosts. Mary, of course Mary bats him aside and then he runs back to the bridge and this cop open fires on him. Yeah, he goes pew, pew. <laughs> Just in a crowded street. Yeah. Uh, he runs back to the bridge and begs God, God, I want to live again. And according to rare stills that have been unearthed, several sequences were filmed but subsequ- subsequently cut. Uh, alternative endings were also considered. Capra's first script had Bailey fallen to his knees and recite the Lord's Prayer. Uh, uh, the script also called for an opening scene where the townspeople in prayer, feeling that an overly religious tone undermined the emotional impact of the family and friends rushing to George's rescue. The closing scenes were also re- rewritten. So I don't would agree with that. I mean, because th- I mean, this 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 film certainly has like a certain religious undertone, but it's it's kept. I think you know, it's kept vague enough that anyone with faith could probably. Relate to it. Well, I'm just you know, like anyone, anyone <laughs> praying could could <laughs> relate to it. Michaels. Uh, but the timeline is restored. Bert finds George, and he snapped, <laughs> yelling, "Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan! <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas GameStop!" <laughs> yeah, 
Happy Mer New Year's to you in jail. Oh, an iconic line. Uh, at the Bailey's house, the cops press and the bank examiner are there. The children are there. Old Bannister Knob is there as well. Mary has roused the town for donations to get George out of his trouble due to him always helping everyone for in this godforsaken town. It's about time. They've easily raised $8,000. Uh, the tears are a-coming during this scene. It's just so... Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Like, imagine your town coming together for you. <laughs> Go on. It's like Kenilworth is like Dan Ryan saved us. All ten nail salons, the two Dunkin' Donuts, the five bagel shops, all come in. Tip jars poured out. Dan Ryan, we raised for you. <laughs> ten Dave and Buster's fun boxes. It's a lot, man. You would cry. You got an entire Pizza Hut family box. <laughs> Bandit called all of us, and he just. <laughs> Oh, so the cast comes in, Uncle Billy, Annie, Violet, Mr. Gower, Sam Rainwright pulls through with $25,000. Hee-haw, indeed. Indeed. Uh, even the bank examiner's heart melts and he donates some money. Harry comes home, a toast to George, the, the richest, richest man, man in, in town. town. <laughs> and then Clarence leaves a note. He's like, I got my wings, baby. Well, that's also when... Uh... Old Lang Syne kicks in, and then, uh, then oh. the tears start coming. And then everyone starts crying. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not only is it a Christmas movie, it's a New Year's I'm movie. Sure it it's so true. And then the teacher, every time a bell Teacher rings. says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his ring. That's right. That's right. Boy, right. <laughs> Clark. It's so sad. Yeah, but, but it's the, also beautiful. But happy, yeah. 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 We did it. Yeah, that ending always gets me. Every time. And I've seen this movie like a dozen times. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I was crying up next to Grant. I was putting oh. my, my hand on his shoulder. Warms my heart every time. So, well, Dan. Yeah, what did who you Who is think? the villain of the movie? <laughs> um, I, I do have to err on the side that it is Mr. Potter. But... Mm. But what do you mean? Classic. That's the obvious answer. Yeah, well, okay, no, no, no. We but, interviewed Frank Capra before this filming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we got him right here. So who's the second villain of the film? In contemporary well, readings okay. of the film. If we want to talk antagonists, then then Billy causes a problem that mm. the, the rest of the the crux of the movie wouldn't be happening without. So all right, all right. But but even but even Mr. Potter is like. He he's like a sitcom bat. Like he doesn't even he doesn't get any comeuppance at the end. He's just like a dick, yeah. and you know he's gonna stay a dick, and the town's not gonna like him. But he's like that's what his thing is. So that's, it, that's where the the SNL like <laughs> deleted scenes from. Have you ever seen that? Sketch? Yes, yeah. yes, I've seen the skit <laughs> yeah. where it's like, oh, we're gonna fucking get you, <laughs> oh, yeah, Mr. Potter. Yeah, no, it's like, hey, let's go beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I don't like so he's the he's the villain, but he's like I don't know, he's almost he's almost like uh by the end he's like in like the Witch of the Waste role where he's yeah. like he's not he's just you know, he's like a sad, angry old dude. He's not gonna like there's nothing he can he can't cause any existential harm anymore because mm. the town is stronger than he is. Yeah. So it's like, eh. But Would you consider this a Christmas movie? I Grimmish. <laughs> well, I think, I think the, I, okay, I, I feel, okay, no, I got, I got, this might take a second to, to, to sort through. Speak. But he, you, it's like a Christmas carol, but it sets up way more of, like, who the Scrooge character is pre, 
Um, like, who, who, like, what led the protagonist to that point? Like, that's the vast majority of the story, and then the Christmas Carol part comes in at the end, and it carries with it, like, the oomph it does, because, you know, we've seen everything that leads him to that point. So mm. it's like, um, like, it's not a Christmas movie for the majority of it, but it, it is probably vital to the, the theming of it that it ends on Christmas, because that's like gratitude, peace on earth and such, and it's, again, I would think for the Christmas Carol parallels, it's like, this is, um, you know, this is where he's learning, Yeah. I instead of what will be, he's learning what could have been, so. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, so it's literally, it is literally an alternate take on that Christmas Carol narrative, because Scrooge sees everything in context, and then George gets to see everything without him out of context mm. so it's it's like yeah I, I i would say yes it has to be a christmas movie because that plot beat would feel like christmas seems like the uniting thing at the end that brings all of the characters together and while that would be possible in another story it might be a little you know more contrived for everyone to do it but yeah. christmas it makes sense right right it's like my other favorite christmas movie the babadook 80 <laughs> percent of the movie just to set up for the last 20 percent oh yeah that's yeah. true yeah and my favorite christmas movie <laughs> league of their own <laughs> <laughs> which we're we'll watching next year for christmas for no reason that's a mighty good piss sir the greatest sports movie ever made oh i can't wait but i'm glad you enjoyed mm -hmm. should we rate this we never rate on uh, this podcast let's rate it now well, I guess I'll rate it a 10. 10 out of 10. 10 George Baileys out of 10. Oh, okay. How many Buffalo Gals would you give? <laughs> How many there Buffalo Gals? That's the ten, one. 10 Buffalo Gals. <laughs> I'm going to have to give it 9 Buffalo Gals and 9 Buffalo Gals. That's up there. It's 9 perfect. out of 9? Nine. 9 out nine out of 10. It's up there. I think it's a good Buffalo Gals picture. It makes me cry. It's a good... I'm going to give it 20 Gorgeous Girls, <laughs> which is all there were in the girls, theater. Girls, girls. <laughs> And Dan Ryan for your first time. I'll uh, I'll give it uh, I'll give it nine metallic skulls out of out of ten. <laughs> he had a skull on his desk. We never talked about that. <laughs> no, you did mention it. We mentioned yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, okay. mentioned it. Oh. Um, Why he had it's such a memento a mori. <laughs> Remember, others too will die. <laughs> others too oh will gosh. die if you make it so. <laughs> yeah. But no, I thought it was great. I think. Uh, I, I think I certainly understand why it's a classic. It's probably one of those things... Like, you've shown me quite a few things on this podcast where I get... I have. <laughs> I get why they have the status they do, even... for Like, for me, Christmas, A Christmas Carol, in whatever version I watch of it, is that a movie that always has the exact same emotional, like, to me, like, at the end. Um, but I understand why this would provide that to, to other folks. So, I, I can certainly... I can certainly see it. If this was a staple of my Christmases, um, no, it's an excellent movie. Mm. I think I think literally I would only deduct one of those metallic skulls because <laughs> at certain points it does feel, and I would imagine for you guys with the number of times that you've seen this movie that that you know like, okay, I there's like this much left in the story, and we're kind of I mean it's all there to build up why George is important, but it feels like, ooh, you know. I don't want to say that It's a Wonderful Life has pacing issues, because I don't want to... That was that one time I shit-talked uh, 
the, the guy who made Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, that's true. <laughs> inadvertently. <Franz Coppola>. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was like, Coppola, yeah. I disagreed with how Dan he directed said, it. I don't like how slow this movie's going. <laughs> no, like, no. We're going to get a rock. Oh, no, no, uh, no. no, but that <laughs> wasn't that wasn't pacing. I disagreed with the third act becoming very generic, but I, I don't want to I don't want to become I don't want to speak from hubris <laughs> too much, but I'm like, yeah, like that that was literally probably the only reason I would deduct that. Mm. But it's an excellent movie, so I'm not going to complain. And if we're watching a certain movie uh, starring a certain Charles Foster Kane, mm. then we can oh, come next year. Yeah, we wink, can't wink. complain about that. Yeah, if we're all alive and well next year, I think that'll be the the movie of our choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And don't watch it till then. Just no, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a good movie. It is. Says, yeah, Jim Gettys. Yeah, <laughs> there is a man, a certain man, and his name is Mr. Burns. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the movie of their choice. But thank you for sharing, Dan. Mm-hmm. Of course, I love this movie as well. I think it was a good watch with friends. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Yeah. Warms the heart in this holiday season. Yeah, the cockles of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and what say you, Gabe Rivera? Oh, I'm, I'm just glad to be invited today. <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night, I get to go home now. <laughs> you know, it's been a wild ride. All right, so I guess we should end this episode then, shouldn't we? Oh, well, yeah, but the doors of our podcast are always open. If yeah, you ever want to... Literally any time. Either you're in you, town if you want to come by Sunday, come on over. And shit talk some man. <laughs> yes. We got time. We got patience. It's been a pleasure being locked in this house for the past few weeks recording these many episodes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> is Happy there, New Year. <laughs> so, <laughs> is there anywhere our audience could reach us on social media? Grant? Uh, no, there is not. Of course. Gabe, what say you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess for this one, you can reach me at... at Griv1012 on Instagram. A <laughs> good pointer. And Dan? Uh, you can follow me at King underscore Dennis on Instagram, as well as our Jason Anime Was Not a Mistake podcast account and Facebook page. Yeah, yeah and you can follow me, Jonathan Gwikowski, at Losing My Mind JK on Instagram, Redacted, Redacted, Redacted on Podcasts, and my also Drink and Read podcast, where I'm currently reading Dune. <laughs> come, t- come tune in. Another I'm doing Christmas a- morality tale. <laughs> Listen, y'all love Dune. Maybe you should tune in for this talk episode. About the I talk about it. It's and starting the this week. I've got my prelude episode up and ready. And Duke Leto Atreides. Yes. Yes. I've done it all. So the please tune George in. Bailey is the Muad'Dib. Yes. No. George Bailey Muad'Dib. <laughs> now, Dan, what are we watching on this Sunday? Because you ain't going anywhere, Dan. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Obviously, uh, with this momentous Christmas occasion, uh, coming down from that we're gonna be ahead we're gonna be ahead a week yeah no i mean if we what? uh you know uh, if we you know need a need a little uh, break or decompression after this stressful holiday season uh we're gonna be keeping it simple and casual return into a little bit of anime um with something that title wise is only tangentially related to christmas we're going to uh sit back and face a lettuce themed villain with dragon ball z the tree of might there we go so, do a join classic. us i thought you were going to say fighting foodons oh that's we'll we'll bring you in first. Right, <laughs> we better. wouldn't dare do that without you that's the bad future it's tons of foods with attitude <laughs> fighting foodons Ah, fried rice, damn it do you want to take off your shoes <laughs> walk up the mountain Ah, spaghetti about it. <laughs> <laughs>
Here at Anime Was Not a Mistake, we have one mission. Whether you be a magical girl, a giant fighting robot, a raccoon, or just a fan of podcasts in general, we hope to one day arrive at a definitive answer to the following question. Is anime a mistake? While we obviously don't think so, there's no harm in expanding our weave horizons now, is there? As of late, our humble little show is devoted to the analysis and discussion of movies, series, and episodes that show off that powerful art that is animation. However, none of this would be possible without listeners like you. If you like what you hear on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and more, then why not support us on Instagram at Anime Was Not a Mistake Podcast, or on Facebook at Anime Was Not a Mistake Pod. We promise to go halfies on the sake with you. Join us, won't you? This time and the next. And with that, Dan and I leave you with a to be continued as the chill anime beats play. Sayonara. <laughs>